Mothers are busy people. And I came across this that maybe illustrates how moms are busy by a son who got his first job. And um, that's about a boy who got his first job. And as he was boasting about the amount of work he did, he said, I get up at 5 a.m. and have my breakfast. And he was asked, does anyone else get up too? And he replied, oh, yes. Mother gets up and fixes my breakfast and then fixes dad's breakfast. And what about your dinner? And the boy said, oh, yeah, mom fixes my dinner too. Does your mother have an afternoon to herself? And the, the boy replied, no, mama cleans the house, looks after the other children, and then she gets supper ready for me and dad when we come home. Then we watch TV before we go to bed. And said, well, what about mom? What about mom? What does she do? And the boy replied, well, mama washes uh, some clothes and irons the rest of the evening. Do you get paid? Why, of course, he says, I get paid. And dad gets paid. We all get paid. And what about your mother? Does she get paid? And the boy replied, mother get paid? Mother doesn't get paid. Mom doesn't do any work. Well, we know that that's not true. I read where somebody estimated the monetary value of a wife's work, and they figured it, it was at least $55,000 a year if you equated what they did on a work scale. Moms are busy people. Um, there's a poem written about uh, mom and laundry, and it goes like this. Some may climb Mount Everest in search of thrills galore, but I scale the peaks that rival it just past the laundry door. Slopes of socks and underwear, sheer cliffs of shirts and pants, and oh yes, I live in mortal fear of a laundry avalanche. One more thing about a busy mom that I found uh, interesting. Mom and dad were watching TV when mom said, I'm tired and it's getting late. I think I'll go to bed. And she went to the kitchen to make sandwiches for the next day's lunches, rinsed out the popcorn bowls, took meat out of the freezer for supper the following evening, checked the cereal box levels, filled the sugar container, put spoons and bowls on the table, and started the coffee pot for brewing the next morning. Remember, she said she's going to bed. She then put some wet clothes into the dryer, put a load of clothes into the wash, ironed a shirt, and secured a loose button. She picked up the newspaper strewn on the floor, picked up the game pieces left on the table, and put the telephone book back into the drawer. She watered the plants, emptied a waste basket, hung up a towel to dry. She yawned and stretched and headed for the bedroom. She stopped by the desk and wrote a note to the teacher, counted out some cash for a field trip, pulled a textbook out from hiding under the chair. She signed a birthday card for a friend, addressed and stamped the envelope, wrote a quick note for the grocery store. She put both near her purse so she'd remember it. Mom then uh, put the cream and moisturizer, brushed her hair, flossed her teeth, trimmed her nails, and the husband says, I thought you were going to bed. And she said, I'm on my way. She put some water in the dog's dish and put the cat outside, then made sure the doors were locked. She looked in on each of the kids and turned out a bedside lamp, hung up a shirt, threw some dirty socks in the hamper, and had a brief conversation with the one up still doing homework. In her room, she set the alarm, laid out clothing for the next day, straightened up the shoe rack. She added three things to her list of things that she remembered she needed to do for tomorrow. And about that time, her husband said, turned off the TV and said, I think I'm going to go to bed. And he went to bed. Does that sound like anybody you may know? We honor moms today, the attention and gifts that mothers bring. And I know that Many of you uh, are mothers, maybe in different ways, less traditional ways, but uh, we honor you as well 
today and pray that this word will honor you. Um, an eight-year-old uh, Mother's Day uh, card note was written by a little eight-year-old girl, and she wrote this on a Mother's Day card, and it said, Dear Mother, here is the box of candy I bought you for Mother's Day. It is very good candy, I know, because I already had three pieces. But I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. You don't need to stand. We'll just have a small text that we're going to look at this morning. It's on your screen, and you can turn in your Bibles and, uh, or just read from the screen as I read this. And I want us to look from this passage, draw some, uh, a few things that may be an encouragement and reminders, not only to just moms today, but these are principles that apply to dads as well and everybody that I think um, can uh, draw these truths from the Word of God. And so let's just read that. And then the Bible says in Matthew 20, verse 20 through 21, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before Jesus, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we just pray today that we would draw encouragement from your word as we encourage moms today and encourage all the believers in Christ and these great truths of your word. And we bless you now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. There, uh, in this uh, passage that God put in my heart today to look at, there's things here that are probably very relatable uh, to all the moms in that the similarities between this mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John. James was the first martyr. He's different than the James that we're looking at in our series that we'll pick back up from the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus. But there was another James, and he was, the, he was one that was uh, killed uh, there, and it's recorded beside Stephen, but he was the first apostle and the only apostle that is recorded in the, in the Bible uh, being a martyr. They all were uh, eventually killed because of their faith in Christ. John you could, was exiled on the island of Patmos, and you probably have heard of the Gospel of John, and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, not Revelations, but Revelation, and uh, that John, and he was exiled on the island of Patmos. But that's her sons, and they were called sons of Zebedee, and her children uh, must have been pretty active kids because some translations and, and their names were sons of thunder. You ever known children that might could fit that description, sons of thunder? Uh, her own, perhaps, identity was overshadowed because they're referred to as, she's referred to as the mother of the sons of Zebedee. What was her name? We're not really sure about that, but she's just called the mother of Zebedee's sons or the sons of Zebedee. And, but in this passage this morning, I want us to consider three gifts, Mother's Day gifts, where perhaps you've bought a gift for your mother. Maybe, maybe it's just something as simple as a card, but instead of us giving gifts to mom, let's draw from this passage this morning in our time and consider mother's gifts to us and what were the gifts this mother gave and what we can draw from. The first is the gift of a relationship with Jesus, the gift of a relationship with Jesus. A mother has relationships with a lot of people, but for the believer, none is more important than a relationship 
with Jesus Christ. That's the best and greatest thing, moms, that you can have to give to your children is your relationship with Jesus Christ. That that is not just some religious perfunctory thing that you do, but it's a vital part of your very identity, a relationship with Jesus. There's um, a passage in Matthew 27. It's on the screen. And uh, perhaps identifying who this woman was, we get a little clues here. It says, there were also many women there, talking about around Jesus that traveled and were a part of his earthly ministry. And Matthew 27 gives us, again, a little insight maybe in her role. It says, there were also many women there around Jesus, looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother, again, we're still not sure who she, her name, but the mother of the sons of Zebedee. There's one other little um, verse there in Luke that we might draw some insight in concerning who this woman was. All I want you to pay attention to is that she had a relationship with Jesus. Luke tells us that there were also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Perhaps she was, again, one of those women that were part of the many others. All I want you to pay attention to is the fact that she had a relationship with Jesus. She ministered to Jesus. She sacrificed to be with Jesus. She uh, was part of those that traveled and were giving themselves to the ministry of Jesus, ministering to him. But I want you to notice here, actually let's go back to the passage a little bit, is it says that she brought them to Jesus. She brought them to Jesus. She came to Jesus. She came to Jesus because she had relationship with Jesus. Mothers are good at finding things. When they need somebody, she needed Jesus' attention, and she found Jesus. She knew how to get him. I think of the boy who lost his contact lens, and the teenager lost his contact lens while playing basketball in his driveway, and after a fruitless search, he told his mother the lens were nowhere to be found. Undaunted, she went outside, and in a few minutes, returned with the lens in her hand. I really looked hard for that, Mom. He said, how did you manage to find it? We weren't looking for the same thing, she said. You were looking for a small piece of plastic. I was looking for $150. (laughs) A little different. So when mom needs to find something, she knows how to find them. Well, she had a relationship with Jesus. She needed Jesus, and she found Jesus. Mom's having that personal relationship with Christ is vital. That's a great gift that you can give to your children. You say, well, my children are grown. It's too late. No, it's not. Start now. If you're a grandmother, start now. You're a great-grandmother, start now. You're an aunt. You're a friend. You're... But start now. It's a great gift to give to those in our family and our children. How do we do that? Well, moms, be consistent. Don't be sporadic. Don't be hot for a week, 
cold for a month, you're in and out, your, your personal relationship at home, because that's where kids watch us. Do they see you very on fire, you're reading your Bible, you're praying, and then you go weeks, and, but you don't make sure you get in Dr. Phil and Judge Judy and whatever Lifetime movie is there, but the Bible gets dusty, and they just don't see that consistency. Be consistent. One of the sad things that happens with kids that grow up in churches is many times they will say, but you know what? I saw mom and dad doing one thing at church, and I saw them totally opposite at home. And they said, you know what? It just didn't seem real because it wasn't real in their life. Make it real by being consistent. Also, be committed. Be committed to the things that God has put in your midst to undergird and help you be a great mom. God has given us the church, relationships, and people. As Jim was saying, God has put around you. You may not have a father in your household. There are men and godly men that God has put in this church that could come alongside and be that. They're not there to replace anybody, but they can undergird and be a support. Expose your children to the activities of the church. And moms, and how you do this, is also be compassionate. Be compassionate with your kids. Let them see compassion modeled to others. Do they see you bitter and angry? Do they see you cynical? Or do they see compassion modeled? Kids are looking, and how vital is that relationship in your own life? Give them the gift of a relationship with Christ. But I want you to notice, secondly, is that she gave an example here and we be reminded of the gift of worship, the gift of worship. It says that the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked for something. Pay attention to that kneeling for something. That is an act of, in fact, the Greek word is the word we get, prostrate. She poured herself out before Christ in an act of worship. This was a serious passion of Christ. It wasn't something she just did privately, but when she came to Jesus, she knelt before him as an act of worship. Moms, we're talking to moms today, engage in those activities that will show your kids that Jesus is worthy of our worship. Some things are caught more than taught. Do you realize that? It isn't just about talking. Do this, do it's what do they observe? I saw this about what my mother taught me about. My mother taught me logic. She said, if you fall off that swing and break your neck, you can't go to the store with me. That's logic. My mother taught me medicine. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. How many of you remember that? My mother taught me to think ahead. If you don't pass your spelling test, you're never going to get a good job. My mother taught me how to read minds. Put your sweater on. Don't you think I know when you're cold? My mother taught me humor. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. My mother taught me how to become an adult. If you don't eat your vegetables, you'll never grow up. My mother taught me about genetics. You're just like your father. My mother taught me about my roots. Do you think you were born in a barn? My mother taught me about the wisdom of age. 
When you get to be my age, you'll understand. My mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait until your father gets home. My mother taught me about receiving. You're going to get it when we get home. And my all-time favorite thing is justice. One day, you will have kids. And I hope they turn out just like you. One of the greatest lessons, moms, you teach your kids is to have a passionate love of Jesus. It's that simple. And again, I'm talking about doing crazy stuff and all. I'm just saying that your life is a model in what you do and what you say that they match. They match. And that's a moving target, isn't it? If you look at my life over the course of the week, I, you know, sometimes those things don't always, they're, they're, sometimes they feel like those opposite ends of magnets. They don't, you know, they don't, you know, you're always, but it's by His grace that He's conforming me and you to His image. We're in process. Say, I'm in process. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still a work in progress. And you know that. But what I want to do and model is to be a worshiper. And moms, I think, the sons of James and John, just the, her kneeling before Christ. She had a relationship with him. She brought him that gift of a relationship with Christ. Talk about the gospel with your kids, but also be one who's not afraid to worship the Lord. The third is the gift of prayer for our kids, the gift of prayer. Mothers want the best for the kids. I really believe that. Mothers, like dads, like all of us, were not perfect. My mother was not perfect. She had a lot of challenges and issues. Some of those were self-brought on. Some of those were products of her own upraising. We're ne- we just None of us were dropped out of the sky from heaven. We're all got something. But this mother gives us an example and I realize that her request, there's a whole, you know, I know that that's kind of a, you know, certainly was a negative thing that Jesus kind of gave her a gentle rebuke. But I just want us to pay attention to the, some of the positive things here that we can look at. Um, mothers want the best for their kids. A mother told her daughter, you won't amount to anything because you procrastinate. And the daughter said, well, you just wait. Um, <laughs> Look at verse 20 there. It says that she came to Jesus and she asked him for something. What is prayer? Prayer is communicating. It's a relationship. And when was the last time that you, when you talked to Christ in prayer about your kids, and it wasn't so much uh, about a problem, but it was a prayer of blessing my children God, you know, those prayers that Paul prayed are great examples in Colossians where he prayed that they'd be filled with all wisdom and knowledge in Christ. Praying prayers that are blessing, asking and drawing from the treasury of Christ the promises of God for our children. Some of you may remember or have read this, and if you haven't, I recommend it, but there's a great book called The Blessing by Gary Smalley and John Trent. It's a great blessing, and it it just takes the principles and examples of the blessing in the Old Testament 
and gives us kind of a, a more new covenant paradigm that we can look at and how to incorporate blessing our kids. If you're like me, the best of parents oftentimes interjected negative garbage into our life. You may have trouble remembering your ATM number, but you can remember something that was said when you were five years old. Am I right? I can. Things that were said, comments that were made, and the enemies just kind of stuck those on you. Listen, as parents, we obviously need to be careful about what comes out of our mouth. The power of the tongue is extra powerful when it's coming from mom and dad. And many of us have that as an example. And I had loving parents, but they weren't perfect parents. There are no perfect parents except our Father in heaven is perfect. But again, just for just a moment, talking about prayer, look past the, the kind of negative things in this, in this request. Because remember, it goes on to say, Jesus said, you have no idea what you're asking. But let's look at some positive things that we can draw from. Notice that she prayed that her children would be close to Jesus. Uh, Look at the next verse, verse 21. She prayed that they'd be close to Jesus, that one would sit at his right and the other at his left. Now, again, she's anticipating maybe in in the positive sense the earthly kingdom that Jesus was coming to establish that was part of his future ministry and No more proper desire could be made of a mom to ask that her kids be close to Jesus. That she desired and prayed that they would live close to Jesus. That they would be with Jesus. That's a good thing to pray for our kids and the burden. Not that they would just be saved, but that they would continually be close to Christ. And she prayed also that they would be involved in what he's involved with. She prayed that they would be that this would be in your kingdom. She's praying that her children would live and invest their lives in the work of the kingdom. Now let me just make a comment because I grew up with this mindset in the background that and I don't think it's kingdom-minded in its, in its uh, intent, even though the intent is good, is that, that we prayed, or maybe you were raised this way, that you know, if you really wanted your kids to be used from God, there was really only a few options. They had to be a missionary, a pastor. If you're a woman, marry a pastor's wife. <laughs> um, I mean, it was like, or be a teacher in a Christian school. We, we limited the activity of God to just what's going on in these four walls. That is not a kingdom mindset. The Bible says in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There is not one centimeter of dirt on this rock we call earth that does not belong to the Lord. It does not mean that all the kingdoms of darkness are yet subdued. But my Bible tells me that God created this earth. And He said, it is good. And there's coming a day when He will have a new heaven and a new earth. Earth means earth. And so the dominions of darkness, be it 
medicine, law, business, whatever belongs to the Lord. We scream and yell about the culture. Well, who invented the culture? It's God's culture. We need the church to begin to exercise some of its God-given authority that God has given us now and to say, you know what? I believe I can do good for the kingdom of God by being an excellent businessman, by being an excellent lawyer, by being an excellent plumber, by being an excellent custodian, by exercising the authority of God in my life at whatever domain He has put me in. That everywhere belongs to God. Not just this little Christian ghetto where the only thing you can really do for God is to be a preacher, a pastor's wife, work in a Christian school or be a missionary. That is not biblical. It's all God. And we have relinquished and said we'll hide in our little corner and have our Bible study and sing our songs while the rest of the world goes to hell. I don't think that's biblical at all. And I certainly don't believe in an extreme that somehow Christians are going to take over and usher in the kingdom of God where that's a whole other aberrant theology. I'm not talking about that. But if God has saved you, if God has called you, be excellent at where He has planted you. You know, in the Bible, there were kings and priests. Priests responsible for the administration of the worship aspect of the nation of Israel, right? Kings, what did they do? They did king stuff. They ran stuff. They made money. They invested in the kingdom. Deuteronomy 8, a most overused scripture by word and faith, false teaching, where it says, I've given you power to get wealth. What does the rest of the verse say, Deuteronomy? I've given you power to get wealth so that I might establish my covenant. Why has God blessed certain people with the gift of business and finance? So that they become the engine financially to do kingdom stuff that only can be done when you have the money to buy. And I'm not talking about making preachers fat and wealthy and letting them buy a $38 billion plane or whatever that nonsense that happens. I'm not talking about any of that. But wouldn't it be great if some Christians bought the New York Times? Wouldn't that be a good thing? She prayed they'd be connected with the kingdom of God. She prayed that they would be close to Jesus. Well, this Mother's Day, many will give gifts to their moms, maybe out of guilt, maybe out of duty, tradition, love. But I believe that godly Christian moms give their children these gifts. They give them the gift of a relationship with Jesus. They give them the gift of worship. And they give them the gift of prayers, your prayers, your prayers, mom, grandma, aunt, your prayers that you pray for God's blessing and protection over your families. That's a powerful thing. How many of you are here or know of, let me just say, how many of you are here that you truly in your heart of hearts know that the prayers of your mom were instrumental in your coming to faith in Christ? 
Yeah. Don't underestimate the power of prayer for your kids. And if you're not, and you have not, and you feel guilty, you say, boy, I didn't give those gifts to my kids. Listen, start now. Start today. Start today. Grandchildren are a great reboot. That where you messed up with your kids, it's like, they're like do-overs. Right? They're like do-overs. Well, do it over and do it right. And be that godly mom, grandmom, great-grandmom in their life. Because kids do watch us. Kids do observe and watch us. And I came across this. It says, when you thought I wasn't looking. Listen to these words. When you thought I wasn't looking, you hung my first painting on the refrigerator and I wanted to paint another. When you thought I wasn't looking, you fed a stray cat and I thought it was good to be kind to that which God made. When you thought I wasn't looking, you baked a birthday cake just for me. And I knew that little things were special things. When you thought I wasn't looking, you said a prayer and I believed there was a God that I could always talk to. When you thought I wasn't looking, you kissed me goodnight and I felt loved. When you thought I wasn't looking, I saw tears come from your eyes and I learned that sometimes life hurts and it's okay to cry. When you thought I wasn't looking, you smiled. And it made me want to look that way too. When you thought I wasn't looking, you cared. And I wanted to be everything I could be. And when you thought I wasn't looking, I looked. And wanted to say thanks for all those things you did when you thought I wasn't looking.